Well, there you have another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, Audio Medicine by Green Zone Hero. Today's guest is, he's got service as his foundation, service as his character. During the service, after the service, this United States Navy retired captain is all about service and how and helping others who need it. You know, post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, and other concussive brain syndromes that hamper the men and women who have served this country is what this individual is all about. And I got to tell you, li- listen to it. And uh, if you know somebody that can use the help or you yourself need some help, he's on a mission now to find you that help. So I think you're going to enjoy this. And thank you for listening. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night. You were born to fight. You gotta light them up. My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. Save us all before they burn it down. Our guest for this episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio is retired Navy Captain Michael Hartford. Michael's Navy career spanned nearly four decades. His credentials and the things he did speak for themselves, always on the cutting edge of medicine and trauma treatment techniques to help heal veterans and others suffering from trauma, primarily post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, and other concussive brain syndromes. Currently, Michael is the Chief of Staff at the University of Colorado's Marcus Institute for Brain Health, located on the Anschutz Medical Campus in Denver, Colorado. I met Michael in person two weeks ago while he was in Florida on on a mission to help others. I'm humbled and I'm honored to have him here on the show with me today. Welcome, Captain Hartford. Thank you, John. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. Absolutely. I couldn't, uh, you know, the, the mission that you're on now and the mission that you've been on for quite a while is something that's obviously close to my heart. Anytime we can help people, and especially people that have been traumatized with post-traumatic stress or traumatic brain injury, speaks to my heart and to my brain. And I can't say enough about persons like yourself that make the world a better place, especially for the people that have served this country. Kudos to you and your staff and the people that you work with. Thanks, John. I, I will say that at this stage of my life and my career, to be able to give back uh, to the less than 1% that have worn the cloth of our great nation is something that um, I'm very blessed to be able to do. And we are making a huge difference at the Marcus Institute for Brain Health to help those that are suffering from the invisible wounds of war not just those that are the most recent veteran population, the post-9-11 vets, but uh, any veteran from any era, regardless of how they sustained a brain injury and regardless of the character of their service. That's outstanding. You know, before we get to the Brain Center, because that's what we really want to delve in here today, but really, you know, I want to learn more about you, and I'd like to know a little bit about your background you know how did you get to the navy you know where did you grow up were you you know were you a rock and roll guy were you country what were you doing michael to get to the service well i um i have been part of a military family i grew up in 
the Boston area. And when I was a teenager, I had an uncle who was a master sergeant in the United States Air Force. And I had uh, other relatives that had served. Several of my uncles had served during World War II. My dad uh, was a career era veteran. I had uh, lots of folks in my family that, that served. And it was a very patriotic, hardworking, middle-class family. And in uh, 1974, I joined the United States Air Force as an enlisted individual and was sent to basic training in San Antonio, ended up spending four years in active duty. And I transitioned to the Air Force Reserve and then the Air National Guard in Massachusetts, working out of Otis Air National Guard Base. We flew the F-106 Delta darts during that period of time. And I remember, John, my uncle, who was the master sergeant, uh, he said to me, Mike, if I ever had a do-over, I would get my commission. And that resonated. Uh, So I used the GI Bill and ended up going to undergraduate school at Northeastern University. At the same time, I was also working I got what was called at that time a Vietnam era readjustment appointment, and I was a, a medical clerk at the VA hospital in Boston. And I realized that my niche was in healthcare because I just had a passion for helping veterans. Um, I was, I think, one of the first Agent Orange coordinators in the entire VA healthcare system at the time, back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. So I ended up after three or four years, uh, moving up the corporate ladder with VA, staying in the uh, reserve. Um, And then in uh, 1986, I had moved from the Boston VA, did a administrative residency at the VA in Salt Lake City, and uh, was an assistant department head service chief at the VA in Prescott, Arizona, and ended up in California. In 1986, I applied and was commissioned a, an ensign in the United States Navy Reserve Medical Service Corps. And from 1986 until I retired in 2013, I served about half of my time on active duty and half of my time in the reserve component and was blessed to end up being one of the Navy Surgeon General's deputies for reserve integration. And when we were at the highest operational tempo uh, during the Post 9/11 era, we had uh, several thousand medical Navy Reserve personnel mobilized uh, in theater, and we had a large medical amphibious unit stationed out of Lonsdale that were basically uh, saving lives day in and day out. So I've had a, a really wonderful career. I've served in the Air Force, Air Force Reserve, Air National Guard. I was actually in the Arizona National Guard for a short period of time. And then, uh, and then Navy from 86 to 2013. You know, I, I think that when, you know, that's cool. I think that when, when men and women do that, when they cross branch and, you know, it's indicative of somebody that really has that character to want to serve because there's no other way the men and the women that raise their right arms and put their hands up, it's service and what a commitment. So again, I applaud you, you know, I'm not buttering you up. I'm just, you know, that that speaks volumes about the men and women who are in the military 
you know, protecting the freedoms that we hold so dear. And, you know, when you're in the medical service, it, it, it's like even a, a, a double way of serving, I think. You know, it, well, you know, I, yeah, I, I believe that we all have a purpose and to be able to grow up in the greatest country in the world. It's a small price to pay to want to defend the very freedom that over 99% of those that live in this country enjoy day in and day out. You know, I think growing up in, in, a, in an environment in which I grew up in where there was a high degree of patriotism that was instilled from the day that I, from the day that I remember. And I, I think when, um, when I decided to join, it was, you know, right at the tail end of the Vietnam war. And even though there was a tremendous amount of, uh, animosity towards a lot of folks that had served during Vietnam, uh, it never discouraged me from wanting to wear the cloth um, of this great nation. And, you know, to be able to do things that I've done, to to travel to where I've traveled and to be able to uh, assist those that I've been able to assist, uh, to me, that is what life should be all about, is to give back, uh, to be a good person and do the right thing and and defend uh, the country that uh, has been so um, you know, so good to me and my family. And so, you know, signing a piece of paper saying that you will literally give your life for the freedom of this country is is as noble a cause as I can think of. Well, you know, we couldn't agree with you more. Can you can you pick out one or two instances in your 40 year career that stand out to you? Pivotal moment special you know something that happened that really opened your eyes sure oh, that's a great question you know in 2006 i got a, a call from um, a colleague of mine who had just gotten out of a meeting at the pentagon and the navy had committed to having a uniform presence with the department of veterans affairs because of all of the uh, catastrophic wounded in engine and ill that were coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. And uh, the call was, Mike, this is something that is right up your alley. Uh, I had been a, a VA director, worked in the VA healthcare system for 22 years, had at that time close to, this was in 2007, so I had 20 plus years of military service. Uh, but when I was asked if I would consider becoming uh, the Navy liaison to the Department of Veterans Affairs, I did not hesitate to say absolutely. I was subsequently mobilized in the early part of 2007 and worked primarily out of the uh, Haley VA in Tampa. Uh, They were getting about 45% of the most catastrophically wounded, injured, and ill that required long-term rehabilitation. I can't tell you how passionate um, I was to make sure that these young men and women coming back that were catastrophically wounded, injured, and ill, uh, as well as their families, to make sure that, that I was able to navigate them through the tremendous challenges that they were going through physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And for almost three years, I was at the bedside of some of the most catastrophically wounded, injured, and ill. In many instances, uh, 
I, I would say, uh, are they going to be able to pull through? But to see the spirit of a, a young man and a young woman that has been so catastrophically wounded, whether it be loss of limb, whether it be severe burns, whether it be a significant head injury, uh, for them to be able to persevere and make the best of their situation, as well as their fam- family members, uh, resonates above and beyond any other uh, experience that I've ever had in my life personally and professionally. And to this day, I keep in touch with uh, several of these folks, and some have just uh, exceeded everyone's expectation in terms of their overall quality of life, Uh, whether they have, like I said, a spinal cord injury, a traumatic brain injury, uh, more often than not, uh, the term polytrauma, I think, is very relevant because very rarely do you just get a head injury or just get a limb loss or a burn. Uh, usually it's a multiplicity of different kinds of injuries and to be able to see how they've been able to evolve, not because of, but in spite of their challenges, you know, it just tells me the spirit of our newest generation of service members and veterans. It's every bit as patriotic and as passionate about making the best regardless of whatever situation may exist. Well, you know, I I can't even imagine the satisfaction that that would make you feel, you know, knowing that you can help people that that really 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 need the help. Um how you know, it has an effect obviously. Is there anything how do you stay focused in all of this? Well, you know, it's, I, I think the, the key to any situation, no matter how catastrophic it might be, is just to have constructive vices. And I, I think I do. I, I do exercise. I try to eat well, sleep well, I, you know, live, um, you know, live a wholesome, healthy life. And I think that has a lot to, to do with my ability to cope with things in a constructive way. Uh, but I also think having having a good uh, group of people that you can bounce things off and talk to, uh, knowing that you're not being judged, knowing that uh, you, they genuinely care about you, makes a huge difference. And, and I, I think knowing as well that I'm not alone, uh, I think that's important. We can all, in my view, look at any experience in life and we could say it was a bad experience and I am now a victim, or we can say, you know what, it was a bad experience, but I'm going to learn from it, I'm going to grow from it, and I'm going to be a better person as a result. And and I think one of the things that I uh, feel strongly about is a lot of folks that do suffer from uh, post-traumatic stress disorder um, really could transition into post-traumatic growth with the right skill sets, with the right tools to turn that negative into a positive. And so that's what I've tried to do. Uh, like I said, regardless of the experiences that I've had, that I, I could certainly have uh, gone down that road of self-destruction, and I've chosen not to. And I think that, um, thank you for sharing that. I think that what you just said there at the end, tail end is, you know, you've chosen not to, and it does boil down to choices. And you know, we've we've heard this before. It's not cliche. It's a reality. But, you know, the things that we do in our lives and the choices we make, 
generally lead us to the positions that we're in now. So it's quite obvious that nearly 40 years of service, not only to your country, but to others as individual uh, healing uh, uh, mentor, you know, that's led you to your current position as chief of staff at the University of Colorado. Um, But tell me, you know, you just recently retired, more or less, and was there any kind of transition period where you, or have you always been on a mission? Was there ever any time that you vacillated in what you were going to do next, or did you, was it already kind of already falling into place? I, I think I've, I've been very fortunate that things have fallen into place. Uh, when I did retire, literally, I had an opportunity to join an organization. Uh, it was a government contracting firm that had a lot of Department of Defense contracts, and they worked in the quality of life arena. So I was literally uh, asked to join their senior executive team right out of the right out of the Navy, and was able to work on Navy quality of life uh, issues. Um, I had a portfolio that included Navy's what was called the Operational Stress Control Program, which is still in existence today. And I had a, a bunch of uh, retired sailors under my watch that were de- being deployed to Navy installations all over the world to work with sailors on how to cope and deal with stress in a constructive way and also how to identify red flags when there are sailors that are deteriorating, decompensating for whatever reasons while they're deployed. Um, As we all know, the suicide rate in both the military and veteran population is much higher than the civilian population. So what we were trying to do is provide those necessary tools to sailors, whether they be junior enlisted all the way to senior officers, uh, to detect what are those red flags when somebody is not coping with their situation. You you could be deployed. The last thing you want to do is worry about whether your wife or your husband, if it's a female, um, is able to pay the bills, take care of the kids, uh, make sure the uh, yard is is owed. All those things that are day-to-day activities in a normal lifestyle. But when you deploy for months and years at a time, uh, you really want to be able to have that individual focus on the mission. So I was really blessed to have that opportunity as soon as I retired from the Navy to work in an organization that was doing things that I had a passion for literally right away. Uh, I also have been in the nonprofit world for uh, for a while. Uh, I was on a board of directors for one 501c3 organization, and uh, and I've been a uh, chairman of a board for another 501c3 organization that deals with helping veterans, helping service members, helping their families. So what led me to where I am today uh, was an interesting uh, set of circumstances. About two years ago, I was called by one of my colleagues. Uh, his name is Dr. Jim Kelly. And just to set the stage, John, uh, Jim was the founding director for the National Intrepid Center of Excellence in Bethesda. That organization got stood up in 2010 as a result of the 
significant number of invisible wounds uh, from our post 9-11 veterans and the military health system feeling that there was a need to develop some type of specialty care to help these invisible wounds heal. Uh, Jim Kelly has been a renowned behavioral neurologist for over three decades, uh, had been the neurologist for the Chicago Bears for a number of years, has been in the world of uh, academic medicine for uh, 30 plus years. He was asked by the top Pentagon officials back in 2007-2008 to open up the National Intrepid Center of Excellence, and Jim, being the patriotic person that he is, said, absolutely, I would be happy to do that. Jim went, actually, yeah, went to the Air Force Academy, but uh, decided that the military was not conducive to what he wanted to do in life, and he ended up going to med school at Northwestern University in Chicago. So Jim and I were, yeah, Jim and I get to be very good friends. Uh, during the six plus years we were both in DC, he would fly back to Colorado on weekends, I'd fly back to Florida. And so he was, uh, he and I would go to dinner pretty regularly and talk about what was going on and what his vision was when he, uh, when he transitioned from the National Intrepid Center of Excellence. So two years ago when he called and said, Mike, Bernie Marcus, co-founder of Home Depot, has granted $30 million to open up a brain health institute at the University of Colorado. He said, would you come out and be my chief operating officer, chief of staff? And certainly I didn't hesitate, and I was, uh, I was here in, in a matter of weeks. That's a, that's awesome. It's like I said, you know, a lot of these pieces fall into place based on the choices we make. You know, the person who introduced us, you know, commander, still active duty, uh, Jeanette Arancevia, really impressed me with how the United States Navy, and I, you know, I, I don't say this lightly, I say this with all sincerity, it is the world's finest Navy. And to learn that they are... <laughs> 110% on board to figure these things out from a humanistic approach was very impressive. And I, and I must say, and I don't, you know, you guys and ladies are on the cutting edge of innovative techniques to help people, like I said, that need it. Traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress, and these concussive syndromes that keep people stifled and, and, and stunted in living a normal as normal as it can be and fulfilling lives. And so, you know, again, I applaud uh, what you're doing and tell us a little bit about the center out there in Denver, what the primary mission and, and how it's going and, 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 and what it is that you all do. Sure. Absolutely. Well, the, the Marcus Institute for Brain Health, we actually started seeing cohorts of patients a year ago this month after about a six or seven month buildup, buildup literally, we started from ground zero, hiring staff, building an infrastructure, uh, getting all the things that needed to be done, done, policies, procedures, uh, and having the right people on board before we could actually start seeing patients. So we did all that throughout 2017, probably March, April, all the way till the end of 2017, and then January 2018, we started seeing cohorts of patients. Say cohorts, 
we try to see at least three to five patients per cohort. And our primary patient population are veterans that we screen. And based upon that screening process, uh, our healthcare professionals determine that, yes, this individual has a condition that clearly is primarily a traumatic brain injury versus a psychological health condition. And I think something that a lot of people don't understand is that when you have a brain injury, there's so many different overlapping comorbid conditions uh, that are also post-traumatic stress, depression, anxiety. And what we try to do during our screening process, John, is, is really uh, take a deep dive, peel the onion back. And some of the things that are more of a neurological or psychiatric, neurological, physical versus psychiatric are things like you know, headaches, sensitivity to light, sensitivity to noise nausea, vomiting, uh, vision issues, dizziness, balance issues, those things are clearly not psychological, they're neurological or physical. And so when we get that information, we determine that, yes, we do think that you have a brain injury and we'll bring you to the Marcus Institute for Brain Health uh, to do an evaluation. So the evaluation is uh, three or four days long and veterans come to us from literally all parts of the country. We've had veterans from 24 different states thus far, and actually two countries, one from Germany and one from Mexico. And they come for an evaluation, and based upon the results of that evaluation, our clinical team determines that yish, this individual would very much benefit from our three-week intensive outpatient program, and we invite that individual back for the three-week intensive outpatient program. If there are those that we determine are probably not going to benefit from our program, uh, we work with them uh, to develop a path towards getting the care that they need, whether it be within the VA system or the private sector. Because oftentimes people come in, once we do the evaluation, their primary condition is more psychological than it is physiological. So we work with that individual to try to make sure that we uh, set them in the right path so that they don't fall through the cracks. Those that are accepted into the program, and which is about 88 to 80, 88 to 89% of those that go through the evaluation process, uh, come back, um, and not a penny comes out of their pocket, no matter where they come from. And we literally customize every program for the unique needs of that particular individual. We have five different medical specialists, and we have uh, multiple complementary modalities that we incorporate into the treatment plan uh, between our uh, neurologists, between our uh, neuropsychologists, behavioral health, physical therapy, and speech-language pathology, and then we incorporate that into uh, whether it be acupuncture, mindfulness, canine therapy, art therapy, equestrian therapy, yoga, and we literally develop a customized program for everyone that comes through. And in the first year, we ended up seeing 129 veterans and family members. And uh, family members are a big part of the, I think, the recovery and reintegration process. Um, and everyone that has come through, we've asked for the last week of their intensive outpatient program if they would like for their uh, significant other to be part of the transition so that they understand 
what their loved one has gone through, and they can be uh, a big support for their post-Marcus Institute quality of life initiatives. So we've been doing that. Uh, the model is very similar to the model that uh, Dr. Jim Kelly started when he was the founding director at the, Net- director at the National Intrepid Center of Excellence. We've been getting uh, tremendous exposure. We have a partnership with the Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, over the last year, uh, the secretary for the VA, uh, Mr. Wilkie, has visited us. The former deputy secretary, Mr. Tom Bowman, has visited us. Uh, the chief of staff, um, right now, uh, retired Colonel Pam Powers, has visited us. We are getting a tremendous amount of respect on what we do and how we do it with the Department of Veterans Affairs. And we have also partnered with a lot of other nonprofits. We work very closely with the Wounded Warrior Project. And I do think that the success of any entity that's working with our veteran population, our active duty population, family members, if we can mitigate the silos that have occurred over the years, uh, imagine how much more efficient and effective we can be to have the best positive outcome for uh, for these brave men and women that uh, that have served and the families that have supported them. You know, absolutely. Um, you know, we've heard it before, you know, it takes a whole village, but the reality is that, that, that that's the truth. It takes a whole community from the family on up and from the leadership on down. Uh, and you're as strong as the network. You know, we're much stronger working together to help these individuals. And when we do, not only do we help them and the families, but we help ourselves and we help society at large. You know, it becomes a better place. You know, can you think of one time or one patient in particular without giving away, you know, any privacy uh, that's been a real, real success story? And, you know, in most I'm sure they're all better once they leave. But, you know, what? tell us about a success story that you know of that just just made you feel really, really good. Yeah, you know, there's been several, but I think one of them resonates is a, a retired Army E-8 who had seen a lot of combat. And he has been struggling ever since he retired five years ago hasn't been able to hold down a job. Uh, his relationship with his spouse uh, has gone down the tubes, has two young kids, and literally spent most of his time sitting in the basement of his house in the darkness of that basement. Mm-hmm. And his uh, his wife was obviously very concerned about uh, about him. And he wasn't, he had gotten treatment in several different venues, but Nothing really hit. And finally, he had been, he was contacted by one of his former, former, uh, service members who said, Hey, you've got to check out the Marcus and Super Brain Health. And he eventually called us. We went through the eval and clearly he was an appropriate candidate, went through the IOP, the intensive outpatient program. And when he finished, you know what he said is that the Marcus Institute for Brain Health saved my life. And he basically said that he seemed like other programs got him to a certain point, but uh, never really addressed some of the things that were 
a challenge for him. He, like I said, he couldn't go into public, feel comfortable. He couldn't play with his kids. He wasn't comfortable. He couldn't sleep. And, and I think that's a, a big part of a lot of brain injuries is if your sleep pattern has been so compromised, you're, you're not getting asleep. You're going to be agitated. You're going to be confrontational. But what he said is that the Marcus Institute peeled back the layers that no one else had ever been able to peel back. And as a result, he now a, understands his diagnosis of having a, a brain injury, and he's now able to develop, uh, he has gotten the skill sets and the tools now to be able to o- overcome those issues that he was not able to overcome before. And, and now he is one of our biggest advocates, John. He has been uh, out there calling a lot of his former um, service members that saw a lot of uh, challenges that he knew had uh, been blown up on more than one occasion in Iraq and Afghanistan, and he has referred several of those individuals to us. And I think here's an individual that uh, potentially could have had a terrible quality of life for the rest of his life. Um, Like I said, his marriage was going downhill. His kids didn't know who he was. And now he's out there uh, involved with his kids. Uh, His wife and him have really developed uh, the healthy relationship that uh, they both aspired to have. And like I said, he's one of our biggest spokespersons. So when you see things like that happen, John, it just makes you realize that what you're doing is indeed making a difference. You know, without, without a doubt, you know, that that's an amazing success story. And, you know, you and I have had discussion and, you know, as a, you know, my foray into the post-traumatic stress world, you know, happened at 11 with a pretty traumatic event. And then, the wound got reopened or surfaced again with my own traumatic brain injury in 2012, where some of the things that you've discuss- discussed here today uh, resonate. So I get it. So, you know, when you can affect one person, um, regardless of rank, sex, you know, whatever, uh, it does affect everybody and it affects everybody in a positive way. So, you know, the mission is one that is badly needed, especially in light of the tw- of the 22 or more a day that we talk about that take their own lives. But, you know, one thing that you hit upon, Michael, is the, you know, the family support. And when you help these individuals, you know, with the support of the family, it gives back to the family because then the family unit strengthens and gets better. Where do you see the center going in, in, in the short term? And then what's the long term plan? Yeah, no, I, I think we uh, we are continuing to grow our capabilities at the Andrews Medical Campus here in Denver, and we're going to continue to do that uh, indefinitely. But we also are long-term in the position, hopefully very soon, to start opening up other brain health institutes nationwide to develop basically a, a national consortium where the hub would be at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus and a spoke, a hub and spoke model where we would have, uh, we would have capabilities uh, hopefully all over the country. Uh, there's been about 300, no, I'm sorry, 3 million deployments post 9-11. And out of that, uh, the estimates are there's probably close to 400,000 men and women that have a brain injury that need to get care, and some are getting it uh, in the VA system. And the VA provides great, great care, in my view. 
Uh, yet there's 22 million veterans and only about 9 million get to care at VA. So majority of veterans aren't getting care at VA. Once again, I mentioned our, our relationship with the Department of Veterans Affairs. It's a great relationship. We are a force multiplier. We aren't competing with VA, but there is that significant segment of the population that could benefit from what we do. Uh, the other caveat is, as I mentioned earlier, we don't know how many of those that were discharged under less than armed condition, conditions. They come back, they're broken, uh, they're not performing at a level they once did. They do something stupid, uh, they pop positive for a drug tests, they get charged with a domestic violence, they get a DUI, those kinds of things, and then they're, uh, then they're thrown out of the military, uh, yet they're good people, they were good service members, and they made a bad mistake because they had uh, an invisible wound that wasn't appropriately diagnosed. So I think that segment of the population, uh, I think we can really help because in most instances, those individuals aren't eligible for care at the VA system. So I do see our institute continue to evolve over the next uh, five to six years so that we have a footprint uh, all over the country at various different academic institutions uh, from the West Coast to the East Coast and in the Midwest as well. You know, that's that's an important thing you just pointed out about, you know, people that may have gotten out of the service with a less than honorable discharge. And, you know, they they fall through the cracks, too, and they are part of the society. Um, you know, what do you if you could think in your own words, what, what do you want the civilian population to know about veterans and especially combat veterans? Is there anything you can let them know? Yeah, I, I think that. Um... The civilian population doesn't understand the military culture. Um, and to be able to talk to people that have served, especially those that have been in combat, to, to understand what motivated them, A, to join, because we have an all-voluntary uh, military workforce. A, what were the reasons they joined? And B, what was special about serving in uniform? And I think uh, a couple of things that I think resonate. One being is that the average person that joins the military, uh, in my view, is probably not your uh, number one academic student in high school. Probably that middle class, hardworking person that you know, probably played sports, maybe wasn't a superstar, but was a patriotic and B, looking for uh, a better future, you know, not just serving the military, being patriotic, but the military also is a, a really solid foundation for whatever people uh, aspire to be in the future because you get so many benefits, you know, GI Bill, to be able to go to school and pursue something that you have a passion to do. Um, you know, the VA benefits as it relates to VA home loans, uh, small business, uh, all of those things that I think can really help a person uh, be a success in life. And I, and I don't think that uh, most of the population have the appreciation of uh, that individual that makes that commitment to, to wear the uniform. Uh, so that's what I would do. I would say if, uh, talk to a group of civilians. Very well said. Um, you know, so if there's, if there's somebody out there listening or, you know, somebody listening that knows a young man or a young woman that's faced with these challenges, uh, what do you want 
those people to know, or if there's somebody out there that's facing these challenges on a personal level, what can you tell them, Michael? Well, you know, I think there's there's a, a tremendous amount of resources. Um, in every community, there's veteran service organizations, there's veteran service officers, uh, there's people that represent the military and the veteran communities within each respective community. So if, if I was a civilian and I knew somebody that wore the uniform and he or she or the family was struggling, I would uh, reach out to some of those advocates to help those individuals. And I think that, uh, like I said, every county in the United States of America has a veteran service officer. And so I think to get to know those individuals, to get to uh, understand what they do and, and help those that, uh, that are struggling, I think would be, um, I, I think would help tremendously in, in decreasing the number of veteran suicides. Uh, in fact, I, I, I'm working very closely, as I, I think I had mentioned earlier, with uh, the VA uh, Suicide Prevention Executive Director, and now in the state of Colorado, uh, to help develop processes and policies that would uh, educate, you know, grassroots approach to educate people in the communities on um, one of those telltale signs that indicate a person's going in a downward spiral and what we can do if we're observant uh, to help intervene before it's too late. Exactly. You know, of course, education, what you just stated is, is, is primary and a foundation to, you know, getting that help, not only for the individuals who need it, but also for the support network around them. How can we um, find out more information about the program where you're at? Sure. Yeah, our, um, our website, it's www.mibh dot ucdenver.org and our phone number is 303-724-4-T-B-I that's 303-724-4-T-B-I for TBI. Uh, so if anybody that listens to this podcast has an issue with a person they know or, or themselves, please have them check out our website, give us a call, and hopefully if they have a mild, moderate traumatic brain injury that has really um, had a problem with, that they've had a problem with getting the care that they that they need, uh, we would certainly welcome them. Well, thank you for passing on that information. You know, our guest today on this episode of Straight Out of Combat is retired Navy Captain Michael Hartford. He uh, is the uh, service beyond service type of individual. He's currently the chief of staff at the University of Colorado's Marcus Institute for Brain Health at the Anschutz Medical Campus in Denver. Uh, doing some phenomenal work. Uh, we know that uh, they're gaining traction out there and they're, they're building this not only domestic network, but a global network with people needing help from foreign countries. Um, got a question for you, Captain. What does freedom mean to you? Freedom means 
that every person has the opportunity to pursue what they believe will fulfill their life in their family. And that can be with a job opportunity, that can be living where you want to live, that can mean getting the education that you need to have to pursue your dreams and do it without any concern about what you say and how you say it. And I think that we uh, in this country are able to speak our minds. We can talk about uh, people, our political viewpoints, without our government literally trying to discriminate you, discriminate you from saying those things. I think freedom is, is about all of those things. And, and also, I, I did want to point out that what we do here, we have so many different partners. And, and I know that uh, other podcasts, you've had uh, Colonel Russ Barnes and you mentioned uh, Commander, Commander Jeanette uh, Aaron Sebia, who I uh, have known for many years. But you know, organizations like Gratitude Professor Foundation, organizations like Boulder Crest Retreat, all these organizations that are doing wonderful things to help the men and women that serve, that have served in their families, to include first responders. I, I think that's part of freedom is, is the, the ability to have all of these people that are passionate about helping those uh, to be able to continue to do that, make a difference uh, in this in this country. And, and I can tell you unequivocally, it is the greatest country in the world. And for those of us that uh, that were born here or have come here illegally to become American citizens, um, it is in, indeed a blessing. Well, we wholeheartedly concur. I'm humbled and honored to have you here, uh, Michael. And uh, can't wait till you come back next time to tell us more about the good things that you're doing out in Colorado and beyond. All I can say is thank you very much for your service and anything that we can do uh, with Straight Out of Combat Radio and or Green Zone Hero, you know we're here to help. So thank you for being here today. Continue on, and uh, I look forward to the next time we can talk. Okay. Thank you, John, and thank you for what you're doing as well. I think it's extremely important, and it's going to have tremendous benefits long-term. So thank you for what you do. You before they burn it down. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. If you liked what you heard, then tell others about us. Like us and download us. And please remember, freedom is not free, and combat veterans are vital assets. They're not broken. They're not broken.